the stuff of nightmares adrift at sea in a massive swell as dusk settles on the Pembrokeshire coast. How was that for a story, Tom? That was pretty terrifying, i got to say. Um, those horror movies, or those sea disaster movies, The Perfect Storm, The Finest Hours, Titanic, I was in all of them then. And they've got nothing on this week's guest, Harry Cromwell's tales of seafaring, surfing, dairy farming, and whelk fishing. And his yellow wellies. And his yellow wellies. On BBC Three. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So, yep. Yeah, this week's guest, Harry Cromwell, we had, we had good fun with him, Tom, talking all things surf and beyond. There's lots to catch up on, so enjoy the show. best surfer is the one having most fun then today's guest is right up there with the goats true that but he'd also stand out in most lineups if we went with the conventional criteria too and wouldn't matter where you were at home or abroad it's pembrokeshire's finest the shredder in yellow wellies he's harry cromwell yes what a guest certainly one of my favorite surfs to watch surf with or even compete against harry's in our virtual studio How's it going, Harry? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, sir. Blivey, bye. Good to see you, mate. And you. And I know, well, as you say, you can see us. But for the benefit of the listeners, we should introduce the rest of the Crest team, too. To my left is the man behind the failed writing-themed property development, Lexi Condos. The two- and three-bedroom apartments with communal library facilities were set to be a spectacular success with many big names from the publishing world signing up to live there. However... A grammatical error was found in the promotional pamphlet, prompting outrage amongst many, and alas, leading to the eventual demise of the project. It's Tom Anderson. How are you, Tom? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm impressed. I'm suitably impressed. Okay, uh, yeah, you might have the nod this week. To my right, it's the only man to surf land to it in a beaver tail without getting permanently banned. He must have either looked very, very good, or else he ran for the hills before they could catch him. It's Robert Webster Blythe. Yeah, well, I'm, there's a few things to say about that one, Tom. Thank you, first of all. But it's factually incorrect because I've seen Elliot Dudley in a beaver tail at Lantua as well in real life. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So, Harry, we, we, I'm not sure if you listened to any of the other ones, but Tom and I have this little riff off at the beginning. And, mm-hmm. um, well, which one do you reckon? Who do you reckon won it this week? I think Tom got the nod last week. But I feel, feel mine was suitably complex this week. What do you reckon? Um, I'm going to sit on the fence. I think, boys, I don't want to upset anybody. Give me straight. I, I, do you know, I'm I don't, gonna, normally, I'm gonna I don't do normally the... understand after what happened, gibberish you boys go on about. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to do the cricketers thing and uh, and concede on this one. I'm going to walk. There was a there was a little snick off my off my bat there. I think Rob Rob had me this week. That's very kind of you. Thanks, Tom. Yeah. Uh, before we get to the thick of it, uh, let me walk you through a quick intro to Harry. I first saw this guy as a kid on what I think was his first or second Welsh team trip. That depends if the if the Celtics was before or after the Europeans. I think it was just before, wasn't it? I'm not sure if Harry's going to remember that uh, exactly. Uh, I don't know. Cheeky 13-year-old. Um, I was told that Harry was a shredder. 
And then I saw him surfing and he absolutely was a shredder. However, he did happen to have somebody called Jeremy Flores in his heat uh, that time. Um, Flores <laughs> did win. Um, that same Celtics was the, the one where uh, Nicola Horn, um, partner of Stephen Horn, uh, the, the long boarder and chairman of the Welsh Coast Surf Club, Nicola famously drove over Greg Owen's boards in the car park just before <laughs> they loaded them up. Onto the, uh, <laughs> you mean Reg Bowen? <laughs> Reg Bowen, does it? Just before they loaded old Reg's boards into the back of the, uh, of the van at Sarn Services. Goodness me. <laughs> Add it to the list, Surf Trip Nightmares. Yeah. Harry's rivalry with uh, Flores would go on to last throughout their time in the junior ranks, as well as becoming a partnership of sorts, as they were teammates by both being selected for the Quicksilver Junior programmes of the 2000s. This opportunity would see Harry travel the world under the tutelage of some of the greatest coaches and riders, such as Jake Patterson and two-time world champion Tom Carroll. In a nail-biting finish, Harry would narrowly miss out uh, two years later, leading Flores throughout the final of the European Under-16s Championship, only to get pipped at the post in the closing moment. That's okay. Flores would later develop a career-long habit for that, including a Pipe Masters win over Kieran Perro, which, for all we know, was owed entirely to the clutch condition finishing skills that he'd learned during his battles with Harry Cromwell. Well, that's how I like to see it anyway. <laughs> Since then, Harry has lived up to the billing as one of Wales's best surfers with a style and repertoire of manoeuvres in all conditions, which marks him as one of this land's truly class contributions to the international roster. That said, he remains one of the best surfers never to have won a Welsh Open title, which we'll no doubt ask him about shortly. As much a character as he is a surfer, he also became one of Britain's most familiar surfing faces when he wedded the lovely Mel on BBC Three, Don't Tell the Bride. The show's iconic moment was surely the addition of the Yellow Wellies, which connoted his now more than a decade-long side career as a deep-sea fisherman. Let's start there. Harry, you're still out on the boat a lot at the moment. How's things with the fishing? Yeah, it's going really well actually. Um this year we me and my um my the mate I, I fish with have just bought a a boat which is pretty mega. Um don't have to deal with no bosses anymore. We just do what we want to do. But um unfortunately at the moment it's uh fish, fish, fish and earn 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 because we're in a lot of debt. Good job for surfing though? Yeah. It it can be a really good job for surfing because generally when there's big surf, we're um, not fishing. It's too rough for us to go out, so we get to surf. But today was a bad example because it was a lovely, clean, small swell running, and we were just just gliding over these lovely waves and just knowing that fresh would be pumping. And um, instead of going surfing, I had to come and talk to you two idiots. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Nah, oh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be uh, a nice high tide now in Middle Bay, actually, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry, Harry. It's on shore down here, anyway. I was a bit tired, anyway. I think I might save it for a dawny, I think. That's it. We no, saved nice the idea. rest of the shoulders. Um, well, let's start there. Uh, at the beginning, starting to surf. So you grew up on a, a farm near Tenby, didn't you? Yeah, a farm in uh, Gumfriston, which is now a famous dinosaur park. And, um, and yeah, my dad's a dairy farmer. My mum... Um, was also a dairy farmer and and I was just a little farm grom and then become surfer, become fisherman. <laughs> how did, how did the, the surfing start? What prompted that? Um, well, I think my my mum's super keen beach goer and loved just kind of hanging out at the beach. So we just used to go down the beach and my brother's 
somehow got into surfing and then I kind of just followed suit, copied them and got into it as well. So are you actually someone who can gut a fish and milk a cow? Um, I probably couldn't do either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because I was about to say, that's it then. You're definitely going to survive the apocalypse, but uh, maybe you're not. Surfing too. I can just yeah. about, I can roughly get a fish and uh, I could probably milk a cow if I had to, but no, I'm, I'm not good at either one of them, no. Just catching the fish is your specialty then? Yeah, we catch them. And uh, it's not actually fish, we, we catch as whelk, so uh, they're, they're big snail, sea snails, so you wouldn't really want to be, well, you wouldn't really gut them. They just go straight to the factory and they sort them out. All ah, right, nice. Mm. You, lots of time around the sea growing up then, and uh, one of your earliest memories as a surfer, one of the first times you got off that south coast and went out west, was when um, all the beaches of the south coast of Pembrokeshire were covered in oil after the 1996 CM press disaster. Yeah, yeah, that was that was very early on in our surfing career when the um, yeah the CM press hit the ground off um, outside of Milford there, and all the beaches were wrecked, like black, black as you can. We, we got photos of it just. It was crazy, crazy how bad it was. And luckily my mum was keen to keep us in the sea and stuff and she'd drive us up to sort of White Sands Way and we'd managed to get in the sea a little bit over it. But um, yeah, that was devastating at the time. Really, really bad. Oh, I bet it must have been really bad for the whelk industry as well back then, I suppose, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, it, back then, it, for the fishermen, they actually come out of it really good because the, um, they got compensated massively. So, so a lot of the fishing fishing boys back then had crap boats, and a few years later we're driving around in you know the, the Mercedes version of a boat, you know, souped up, yeah, ride boats. And and the obviously there was a there was a, an effect to the fishing, but it's come back so good, so strong. Um, you know, it did, overall it didn't affect it to you know to the That's point. I, I remember it at the time and I remember being stunned by how quickly it recovered because we were down at Fresh it seemed the, the next year and there was barely any sign of it. They did such a good job of the clear up and the, the ocean has that, that habit of feeding itself so well, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Amazing. I like, if yeah, if you've taken a, well, like looking at photos of when it happened and then a year later, like you say, or two or three years later, you wouldn't have even known nothing had happened unless you dug down in the sand a bit or, but I suppose at the end of the day, the oil, it co- oil comes from the ground, doesn't it? So um, it found its way back down there, I guess, somehow. <laughs> yeah, it's organic, <laughs> isn't it? You, uh, you, you mentioned um, earlier, Harry, your, your brothers um, somehow got into surfing. So Luke's a bit older than you. And is it Sam, his older still, oldest brother? Yeah, Sam's a middle brother. He's two years older than me. Oh, and Luke is the oldest. He's three years older than me. Um, we were all keen. Luke was a lot, you know, probably the best out of all of us. And then Sam was, uh, he was a bit special when it comes to surfing. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be the, he'd be the one you, when the set comes, you'd say go and he'd go, but he'd always know dive and get beaten. <laughs> Reward yeah, commitment we, points though. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. He had his uh, own way of, you know, just going on waves and not really making Whereas Luke had a bit of talent and I just kind of copied both of them and done what I could, you know. So you were competitive with Luke then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, with both of them, as you are with your brothers, you know, from anything from blooming fighting to bloody riding your bike to surfing. Yeah, I just wanted to, I, I kind of wanted to be like him, you know, I just wanted to do what they were doing, playing the guitar, whatever they'd done, I wanted to do. 
And uh, I remember in the earliest days, like Luke rode for Billabong, didn't he? And you got picked up by Quick. What order did that happen in? Yeah. Yeah, well, um, I remember it was a Welsh it was, and I think Carwin was down, and Nick Swinner, and I think maybe all the, they had something to do with the Billabong, you know, picking the team and stuff like that. And I actually had a sh- Yeah, I remember Carwin was on the beach with my mum and my brother, and I had a heat, and I served. I didn't get any waves, like literally no waves. I got out, I was gutted. And that year then, Luke done pretty good, I think, and he got picked up by Billabong. And I just remember him getting boxes of clothes in the post. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. I was like, I can't wait to get sponsored. I've got to get sponsored now. And then um, and then it wasn't long after, I think I was about 14, um, and I had a phone call off uh, Joe Hargraves, which is Spencer's dad. And he was like, uh, he was like, oh, right there, uh, Harry, it's Joe here from Quicksilver. And um, he's like, I'm wondering if you want to be sponsored by Quicksilver. And, and I was like, at the time, I was like, all I want to do is sponsor by Billabong. I was like, um, I was like, oh, I don't know. I'll have to uh, get back to you. I, I can't really. Um, <laughs> do I have to? Yeah. Because I like, I, 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 all I wanted was sponsor by Billabong. So I, I said, oh, I'm going to have to get back to you. I got a couple of other things. And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, oh, I just got a couple of things to sort out. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> And then I went to speak to Luke and I was like, oh, phone up Swinner. I was like, if you want to sponsor me, you can quick silver one And he's like, don't be such a he's like, take this He's like, don't be so stupid. Take um, he's like, get back on the phone and and tell him you want it. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, I suppose I better add. And then yeah, it turned out like the best opportunity ever to get picked up by Quicksilver. They're amazing. And that was it. <laughs> when you were with Quicksilver, Harry, um, am I right? You went on quite a few trips with them, didn't you? And met well, at the time, and still now, quite big names as part yeah. of those trips. So you were met, well, your arch enemy, Flores, Lacamar, Wanduru. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, literally, probably loads more pros I don't even know at the time was just, like, loads of kids. Like It was, a, it was around that time that you are doing all the young gun stuff. Where were you on the men's trip, Harry? Yeah, well, I got, actually got invited, but I had to go milk the cows with my dad, so I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> priorities is <laughs> absolutely in it. It, it get you ready for the apocalypse yeah yeah now that that like um there was a couple of months like flores and that garrett park kid was on, oh, yeah. on the australian one um yeah well it was it was literally i got back from australia and then one of them back the young guns three i think started and a couple of them boys were on that and all but um but yeah go going away with with all that crew was crazy like I I that was must just, have had a huge impact on your surfing hey yeah, it did, did massively. Like they, we were just getting coaxed constantly, like tips on what to do, watching, just surfing with people who are better, you, better than you, improves you so much. But yeah, just surfing with like all them pros was crazy. I was just, <laughs> I, I was honestly just like, what's going on here? I was like, I don't deserve to be. Here. I was like, I don't know why the hell I. It was just like, what's this this white blonde kid doing here? <laughs> And then, yeah, uh, but yeah, it was all right. I, I like had a wicked laugh with it. And I remember them, like one of the coaches said to me, he was like, because I was out there just like, oh, that was a sick one. I was like, nice, nice turn on that one. And then the next guy I wear, I'd be like, that was an amazing wave you had then. And then one of the coaches said to me, he's like, he's like, why are you complimenting everyone so much? He's like, you need to be a bit meaner. He's like, you need to start like thinking you're the boy, you're the best. And I was like, I was like, nah, <laughs> I'm not the best. I'm not going with that. As I'm happy to serve them all, and like, you know, so. but um, it was amazing. It what was an massive. opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And do you find that 
surfing with sort of international surfers of that standard, it teaches you to go into different bits of the wave to what you learn when you're at home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you mean like using the pocket of the wave? And Yeah. I suppose you kind of surf in foreign waves a little bit different anyway, because at home you're kind of trying to build up as much speed as you can to do a turn on any little section you can. So when you do travel abroad, you kind of can use the, the power of the wave to hit it right in the pocket anyway. But but yeah, to see how they surf is it, at the time was just so different like to what I'd ever seen before. I was just like blown away. Even just even a lot of the you know even surfing with Spencer and the British guys, I was like, these guys are amazing. And then, and then going to like see the Euro kids and the Euro, all all, all the Euro gang and the Australian guys, just the way they just the speed they done done their turns and they were flying. It was amazing, amazing. And uh, then there was that. First uh, Europeans heat against uh, Jeremy Flores in 2000. Uh, that was in uh, Jersey. Um, and I remember vividly seeing that from, uh, from the wall at, at Water Splash. But then two years later, um, you ran him very, very close in that under-16s final of the Euros. So, so tell us what you remember of that. Um, yeah, it was, I was in Mimazan, I'm pretty sure. Um, and it was a wicked trip. Um, my, I remember my brother was on that trip. Um, a load of good guys. Greg Owen was a coach, <laughs> um, and uh, he was pretty good. To be fair, he was on the beach cheering us the whole way. Um, and yeah, the waves were tiny, and I was always like one of the smaller kids out of everyone. Um, so to my advantage. I actually got knocked out in the first heat. <laughs> I got knocked out in the first heat, and I was like, oh, this oh down into the rapid charge round. Into the rapid charge, and then had about 20 heats against everyone. And yeah, it was really sweet. It's Greg Owen who's got the, the name for that, and he calls it the Grim Reaper. Down in the Grim Reaper, are you? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, I went straight into the Grim Reaper, and then um, managed to just wicker whack my way for a few heats flying along. Um, and then in the final, uh, I had a good final, but and well, that was it. The, the two other guys in the final, someone they had an interference. So like they were straight out of it. So it was literally me and Flores in it, and I was like, "This is mine." I, was like, I had some good waves. I was really happy. Flores had nothing, and then and it was like a half an hour final, whereas all the rest had been twenty minutes. And come like twenty five minutes, it was still Harry in red, uh, winning the final, winning the heat. I was like, "Yeah." As I got this, and then Flores got out of the out of the heat, got a, changed his board, come back in, and had two waves off the bat and just blasted it and kicked my ass, and that was it. That was the end of it. And I remember afterwards, actually, on the on the podium when they called us up, they called me up in fourth, and rather than kicking off and saying no, 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 I was second, I just took my fourth place. And walked oh. off. <laughs> well, then swapped it with the second place guy yeah, afterwards. Afterwards, yeah, I was like, oh no, guys, but there we are. <laughs> classic so since then you've been one of the standout competitors in the welsh in fact talking about yosef and against flores i can remember you uh, and our very own rob webster blythe and vorney having a, a quarterfinal high tide uh, fresh and i remember you smoking the pair of them um but, but a lot of those really sort of killer performances in the welsh we're always in the rounds other than the final. You've been run close quite a few times, but you've ended up with this uh, this moniker 
the the best surfer never to win the Welsh. Do you do you, do you like that title? I love that title. <laughs> I don't think it's true, but I'll definitely take it. What you'll yeah, find yeah. is, I think it's Vaughny always put Vaughny says yet on the end of that sentence. Yeah, yeah, man. I I'm definitely still going for one. <laughs> but, I think it was um, you when he did it for the first time. I think wasn't he? Yeah, I always remember him like when I was like 25, 26, like missing out. He'd always be like, oh, don't worry, Ari, like I'm 33 or four or whatever. And I've, I've only just won a title. And, um, and I was thinking, I was like, I don't know. I, I, when I was a kid, I always thought I'd have a Welsh title. And then as it comes down to it, I've just never done it. So I'm sure it'll happen one day. And if it doesn't, I'm not too bothered, to be honest. You've got plenty of age specific titles though haven't you from uh, from your junior years yeah yeah, yeah. I've, I've won a few Welsh juniors and I had a British under 14s which I was quite happy with um, nice so I, I have actually won a Welsh Open which was at fourth call it was um, I remember elusive, that elusive Welsh Open so I'll take that as a Welsh title yeah I remember that yeah so yeah that'll be my Welsh title if I never win one let's, well let's fingers crossed we can get the Welsh done it sometime this year as well yeah, is that going to happen or? Well, who who are, who knows? Your guess is as good as ours. We we chatted about this earlier on, but uh, I think on the first episode. But it's up in the air, isn't it? Hopefully, at some point later in the year, we you never know. I, I think, think it will. I got a feeling, and I also reckon. I just I think it came to me in a dream the other day. I was just sitting there. I was like, do you know what? The Welsh is going to end up getting run in like the dead of summer somewhere, and like whoever wins the Welsh this year is going to be in bodies. So I don't know. That's Think about what colour board he's to put on Harry for uh, for the Welsh if it ends up in one of these nice brown water spots up the channel somewhere, you know? What, what do you mean? It can't be anywhere else but fresh, surely. <laughs> we had no, this on the uh, Welsh Quiz, knows, uh, quiz on Friday what, what, in the past decade. Where is the only place that the Welsh uh, seniors has been held other than fresh? Lantwit. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah, you've got one more more than Greg Owen. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he was there. Oh, fingers crossed, because we, we all love the Welsh, even if uh, we, we don't make the finals often. Mm, yeah. <laughs> just, just skating down the road and chatting nonsense. Anyway, let's, let's move this on. So we touched upon briefly, Harry, your, uh, your fishing career, and you told mm-hmm. us about the, the involvement in the whelk industry. How did that come about? Dairy lad into the, into the high seas. Uh, once again, it was following my brother. A um, couple of his mates were uh, fishermen. And he uh, got a job on one of the boats down there or covered for someone down there and really liked it and was making pretty good money. And he, he just was on to me. He's like, oh, what are you doing? He's like, you need to be on the fishing boats making money. I was like, I was like oh, do you reckon it'll be all right? He was, like, he was like, yeah, it's quite hard work, but I think he'll manage it. And I was like, I think I'll be able to lift the box and stuff. <laughs> and he was like, oh, I don't know. He said, but you'll have to come and have a go one day. And uh I remember one day, uh, one of his crew, one of the boys he was working with didn't turn up and he said, he's like, ah, oh, he phoned me up. He's like, Harry, get on the boat. He's like, we got a day for you. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really feeling it, mate. He's like, get down the boat. So I was like, okay. I went down the boat and, um, and that was history, really. I, I worked that day, worked my bollocks off, <laughs> worked my ass off. And, um, and then uh, I remember them going, right, that boy's not coming back. He's like, you're working on it tomorrow. I was like, okay. <laughs> And that was it from, from then wow. on. Yeah. What does what does for the, the layperson, what does a normal day look like on the boat? A normal day. Um 
So you get down the harbour, you um, lower on your fuel or your bait, and you pack lunch or your beers. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, um, then yeah, you go out to sea and basically pull up a string of pots, whelk pots, and empty them, rebate them, shoot them back to sea, and keep doing that over and over again until, until it's time to come home. Where do you go out from? Saunders- we fish from Saundersfoot, yeah, Saundersfoot Harbour. And do you and do you usually stay pretty close to Saundersfoot? What's your kind of reach? How far up the the estuary do you go? Uh, we up, go up the channel, rather up the channel as far as sort of Oxford, in line with Oxford, is about as far as we've been. And then we go west, then down. You know, you 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 can go real far. We don't go much further than sort of Linny Head is as far as we've ever okay. been, if not St Govans, really. Okay, how long's a day on the boat? I can't imagine it's a two-hour job, is it? Um, no, nah, we, we try and make it as short as possible. Um, anyway, you know, we, are, we have done days where we can get in and out in about eight hours, but generally it's more like, it's more like a 10, 12-hour shift. And we've also had days where we've done more like a 16 hours as well when oh. you've had a bad day. Right, that's exhausting. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite long days. It is quite yeah. long days. You, you and I have chatted about this before. You were saying that, that your main uh, market's in uh, Asia, isn't it, for Welks? Yeah. Korea. Apparently, in Korea, it's a it's a delicacy. They love it out there. The whelks are just they go mad from. Do you eat them? Um, I've tried them, but I don't eat them. Not a big but, fan. Um, <laughs> nah, but I've. Do you know what? I've never cooked them up. I've never like never really like. All we've done is literally caught them, boiled them on the boat, or fried them, and eaten them raw. Whereas uh, one of my friends has started cooking them up in like curries and stuff. And, and uh, he's loving them, and he says they're amazing. And he's he's going to make me a curry one night, and I'll go around and try it because uh, apparently they're really good for you, um, and they're an aphrodisiac as well. So well, hey, you don't need so, any yeah. of that, mate. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right there. But, yeah. <laughs> so anybody that follows you on Instagram would have seen funny. Is it is it Tuttle you on the boat with? Yeah, Tuttle. Yeah. Sorry, your videos are so funny, and it always seems to be like. Not bullying him, but certainly playing pranks on him. Uh, it, Tuttle is is the poopies to Harry's job, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, They're very entertaining. Yeah, Tuttle's my best mate, and uh, he's actually got a boat of his own at the moment. But um, I have worked on the boat with him, and the normal prank is because we don't have a toilet on the boat. So if you need it, if you need a number two, you, there's nowhere to go but in a bucket or over the side. So you've got to <laughs> kind of try and do it when no one's looking. <laughs> Without getting caught on a live uh, feed to Facebook or Instagram, <laughs> <laughs> so um, so yeah, we always we're always keeping an eye out, make sure no one's having a shit, and if they are, get your phone and film it. So we, we've we've seen the I've seen the funny side of it on Instagram. Is it you were saying about those long days? Sure, well, and earlier you said you, don't, you only go out when it's kind of calm, but surely there's there's quite a lot of risk associated with with uh, fishing, isn't there? Yeah, it's like. You've got to do all your sea survival courses and first aid and all the your skippers ticking all that. Yeah, and, and they drum into you like it's it's the most dangerous job in Britain and so many, you know, out of ten people, one person's gonna die and all they tell you all this stuff. But it, it is a dangerous job, but um we are like super conscious about it and we're really on the ball and even though even though it is or it can be really dangerous, we, we you know, we're we're real careful. And then down your way, of course, you've got the risk of drifting into the MOD firing range as well. Does that happen to some of the boats sometimes? Is that a bit of a risk you've got to be wary of? (laughs) 
Yeah, very recently. Um, it wasn't even drifting in uh, a, a friend's boat of ours that goes from the same harbour. They um, were on autopilot steaming out to sea uh, to do their gear. And as, as you steam out in the mornings, there's obviously jobs to do on the way out. So you're kind of out on deck, cutting up bait and all stuff. But um, normally the skipper's at the wheel keeping an eye out. But And this guy, I don't know what happened, but he, uh, he ended up mounting his boat on top of a firing range boy which is like these boys are like you know like three meters high but like three meters wide um and and he got stuck on top of a boy and their tuttle or poopies <laughs> had to him and his brother <laughs> on another boat had to tow him off um and and their boats pretty you know he managed to get ashore he literally just steamed straight in got ashore before he um before the the vessel sunk and uh but wow. I think the boat's pretty much a write-off. Isn't it also a bit of a risk that the MOD are going to think that they're under attack or something? And then suddenly the next thing you see is a missile <laughs> firing through the air, like straight at you? Yeah, no, we, um, you know, we work with, uh, with the firing range. We know when they're firing, they call us up and they say, get out the firing range, boys, what are you doing? Um, so, yeah, we're in contact with them all the time. But, um, but that can be a bit of a pain in the ass, to be honest. So... Harry, apart from uh, man-made objects, how is there mm. anything that nature's thrown at you whilst you've been on the boat that's been scary? Any big seas? Um, yeah, there was there was one real bad time which sticks in my mind. It was um, about well, it was about six years ago now. We had a new boat made, so we went from what's a, it's called a Gemini ten meter, um, and that's like a big um, diesel inboard boat to uh what 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 we got now which is a cheetah catamaran 11.9 meters so it's a bit longer and a bit narrower and um and it's outboard engines whereas the old one was inboard so it drives completely different um the old one was just just so easy to drive uh drove like a tank and um just real easy to control and i was just used to that boat you know that's that's the boat i pretty much learned everything on and then we had this new boat made and um, we, they just finished sorting it all out in Milford and I had to steam it around the Saunders foot to go fishing. And I was so eager to get it in the water and go fishing. Um, we knew there was a big storm um, and it was due to get a lot worse and a big swell running, but I was so keen. I was like, oh, I just want to get it around the Saunders foot now so, um, so we can start fishing. Um, and the owner was like, oh, maybe leave it till tomorrow. And I was like, no, 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 I'm going. So um, we started heading out of Milford and we got to, you know, as you're leaving out, out past, um, you know, Linny Head and turn as if you go towards Fresh West. And, uh, and the swell was massive. And, like, I'd never been out in sea like that before. And the, it, was, it was literally like going over mountains. And I was like, oh, this, isn't, this isn't a good idea. I was like, but it, it'll be all right. I was like, we'll get there. So I kept going. Um, and, it's, and it's quite a quick boat. And the handling was a bit weird and different. And then as we, as we got further along uh, by St. Govan's there, there's a place called St. Govan's Shoals, which the rips all run in funny directions. And by the time we got there, the like storm was hitting. And, um, and the way I wanted to go, it was like the, the waves were hitting us on like the back quarter, which, which isn't a nice place to hit. So when, when, I, was steep, when I was going down the waves, the, the boat was basically trying to turn right around. And the boat was surfing down the waves and like nose diving and spinning around like 180 degrees. The engines were cutting out. It's a totally new new boat. I didn't know what I was doing. Oh gosh! 
And it was a real bad decision by me making going around. And I, I really was, I was proper scared. <laughs> who, uh, only, who did you have on with you? I had a crewmate with me who's not with me now, um, but it was a, a boy called Sawyer. And he was white. <laughs> <laughs> and he was super scared, like prop, like we were both shaking, like adrenaline scared. And I never forget, we, we come through um, like Caldy Sound, between Gilder and Caldy Island. And as you get around there, you just totally shouted. And like, I give him a hug. It was that full <laughs> on. I give him a hug and I was buzzing. I was so excited to get around and so relieved that we'd made it. Oh my goodness. Uh, it, was, it was like proper, proper scary. We surfing down waves on the boat and it was just, it was massive. It was crazy. Really crazy. It's like, that's like the perfect storm stuff. You know, that film with uh, George. That's what I was going to say. George. It is the plot line of any of many of those like fishing disaster movies, isn't it? There was that finest hours uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and do you know what? Do you know what as well? Like it was night. It was like get, just getting dark as well. And in, ah, at yeah. night, everything seems worse. Everything at sea when it's dark is worse. Can I imagine. Um, yeah. So that was like probably if it had been daytime and I'd been on the boat that I was used to, it would have been like big surf and the biggest waves I'd been out in, but. It was just like magnified, you know, because of it, because of all the different factors. It was just, yeah, it was pretty scary. Well, talking of uh, brave men in yellow wellies, let's <laughs> talk about uh, "Don't Tell the Bride." How did that end up happening, Harry? So, uh, what was it like having your wedding basically being used for a TV show? It, it, it was really good, actually. Yeah, it went really well, um, and I'm still to this day glad that I done it. I bet. Um, but yeah, me and Mal used to watch that show on TV and we loved it. We'd always like take the mick out of the people doing it, calling <laughs> them idiots and all. <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, we could do a better one than that, Mal. And she was like, yeah, that, we should like apply. And I was like, oh yeah, cool, we'll apply. So I think Mal sent a photo in and, and wrote a little thing about what we'd done. And then they got back to us and they said, oh, fancy coming to London to meet, meet us and, and see how it goes. And I was, I didn't think it was going to happen. I like didn't think at all it was going to happen. It just kind of, we just kind of went along with it and went up there and Tuttle come up with us. Oh no, I think, I think me and Mal went up one day, one day actually, and had a day up there. And then they, they, they asked for us again then for me and Tuttle to go up with Mal. And, uh, and then I think there and then, then they were like, right. Okay, cool. They're like, how about, um, like if this is going to happen, how about, can we do it in like three weeks? Uh, and we were like, uh, yeah. And they were like, okay, cool, we're doing it. And I was like, all right. <laughs> but that's so, so, so from going from like applying to, to starting the process was about, it was like only like a couple of months between the whole lot. So it's quite come on quite fast. But yeah, oh, it was, it, like you say, it was such, it was such a good one though. People that don't know you that I've, I've heard like mentioned in this, the staff room in school. And they're talking about don't tell the bride. I'm like, oh, did you see the one with the uh, the guy down in Pembrokeshire with the, the wellies in the harbour? They're like, yeah, that's my <laughs> mate Harry. <laughs> no way. You came across really well in it. I appreciate that, Blythe. But um, <laughs> I I got a lot of um, a lot of good feedback, and ever, a lot of people said they loved it. But I also had like loads of random messages off people calling me like a selfish <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> Did, like, did you have to basically like? Can you agree with each other, you know, in secret beforehand and go right? So what we're going to do is right. We'll get you to say that this is like your worst possible wedding. Well, like me and my mate organize exactly. 
yeah, I wed him, but then really like we double bluff him, and it turns out that like that was exactly the wedding she wanted anyway. Well, I've signed a contract, so I can't, you know, go into depth about <laughs> <it>. <laughs> no, yeah, I know no. I know about how those things work from ghostwriting, yeah. Well, no, Mel's so uh, easy going though, isn't she? I'm sure she'd have been there. Yeah. Whatever like, you pulled out the bag. Well, when we went up to London, they basically asked like us what what what, what would we do, you know? And um and when you say like we we we're a fisherman, we're gonna do a fisherman's wedding. That's what they want, you know. They don't want you to say that and then go ahead and do a certain wedding or something like that. So you're kind of stuck to that idea. Um, and then and then pretty much, yeah, we, we pretty much just got to do what we wanted to do, you know. And, and Mel was easy going about it. She just wanted to have a good crack, which she did. And, um, and it did turn out really good. And we were really lucky. It went really well. And we had a wicked party. It was like, not just because it was my wedding, but I think it was the best, one of the best weddings I've ever been to. It was amazing. Oh, that's cool. Well, you, you didn't do what that one guy did. Did you ever infamous episode where the guy just took the wedding money and went to vegas and blew it on a stag do <laughs> yeah. and then made them all pay their own way to go over there afterwards didn't you <laughs> that was classic wasn't it fair play what <laughs> no i don't think that relationship <laughs> lasted that long <laughs> whereas you guys going super strong and and the two of you is now the six of you so you're yeah. a, you're a father of four so you guys are clearly like well into the parenthood thing you keep going back for more blame the welts yeah yeah it's the it's the welts that's what done it (laughs) um yeah four kids yeah four four girls i got and um and it is pretty hectic in our household at the moment (laughs) but i love it how do you get away to surf i don't i I don't surf anymore (laughs) (laughs) nah yeah you love it yeah it's like as you guys probably know, if, if you don't surf, you, you're not, you're not, you know, who you are. I'm not Harry when I don't surf. So Mel understands that and she lets me have my surf time. But um, I'm pretty lucky to have someone like Mel who does a lot of, you know, a lot of work behind the scenes. <laughs> As I always say, behind every good man is a great woman and she is a great woman. <laughs> and um, she's super organized and gets all the girls together doing, doing all the things, you know, that we need to do. So. I just go out, get the work done, and hopefully try and squeeze in a surf and just have fun with them, like, you know? So that's, that's the best thing. We had one at, like, nearly the same time, didn't we? I think you had your third when I had my first, and then uh, I remember bumping into you guys in MacArthur Glen. Like, it can't have been that much longer later, and then we were having a little catch-up, and then I was like, right, like, baby hasn't like grown at all and then you were like no no we're on we're on to another one <laughs> this is the next one so like, this was in the time that it had pretty much taken me to like recover my wits at all and like you guys had gone for it again yeah it well we had um we had our first two honey and tilly pretty close together with like 13 months in between them um you're really fertile after just having a baby apparently and uh, we found that out pretty quick and then um <laughs> And then um, we had like a little gap then and the girls was kind of like just going to school. We just sort of had our lives coming back to normality. And then next minute, number three, Millie comes along and then, and then, uh, and that, yeah, and then number four as well. Um, and do you know what? It's, I would love to have 10 kids. I would, I would love it, but just time, you, you just haven't got the time to give them, you know, to give them all individually enough time each. Uh, and the money, you know, if I didn't have to work, I, I probably would have ten kids because they're a wicked laugh. And how do you take them all on a trip somewhere? Um, it's Excess a bit, baggage. Yeah, it's it's 
it's full on and it's hard work, but you've just got to have an organized wife, which Mel is, because I'm not that organized. Um, and you just got to go with the flow, you know? It's just, you just got to have fun, and you? And just, just, just don't stress about nothing. Just take your time. Um, be prepared for just sick and, and poo and, like, nappies and people not understanding you've got kids on flights and just, yeah, just you just got to just go with it and you just enjoy it. Because <laughs> you, you do travel with them, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've uh, not long come back from Bali with all four of them. and. Um, and it was probably one of the best trips I've been on. I saw some really good pictures that your brother took, Harry, of a, I'm not sure if it was over several sessions or one particular one, but he's surfing a right-hander and there's lots of, lots of pictures of you locked in the barrel. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty much every surf we went on, Luke was like, just, oh, I'll just take photos, you go surfing. I was like, okay. And for, for those people listening that, that don't know, Luke uh, lives in Bali, doesn't he? And yeah, I, I yeah. suspect he's got the place dialed by now, hasn't he? Yeah, my brother Luke, uh, yeah, he's lived over there now for probably eight years or so, maybe more. I don't know, about eight years. And um, he has got the place dialed. It, it is literally a case of, oh, where are we surfing today, Luke? Um, and he'll just be like, we're going here. This is going to be good. No one's going to be here. And I'm like, okay. And we'd turn up and it would be good and no one would be in. And I'd be like, this is mental. I was like, what, what? He's like, is there not crowds in Bali? And he's like, yeah, it's crowded, but not if you know where to go. And that's so true. I sit, I surfed so much in Bali and the, the busiest it got was like, well, I did surf the, the classic places busy, but whenever I went with him or Johnny Harris, who also is in Bali at the moment um, and has got it dialed down, um, we was just literally, it was me, Luke and Johnny. And then like, come like, 10 o'clock, a few people would rock up, but it was, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And uh, are you at liberty to tell us where that, that spot was? Oh, I couldn't even name it if I tried. I'm going to clue. You were telling me about a great session at just a random beachy somewhere yeah. in Bali that Luke knew about as well. Yeah. Most, most of the best waves I had in Bali was on a beach break. Would you believe that? Like I would. Well, a lot of people wouldn't. A lot of people don't believe me, but yeah beach break barrels just like easy waves easy waves like easy paddle out you get into the wave pretty easy and just really good barrels but yeah that that one particular day we um we went to this spot which was quite funny we were meant to be meeting one of the local pros there which luke knows because he knows all the boys there and his waterproof camera was leaking so he tried going in a couple of times it was leaking we had to get out um i had to help him like clean it and then come go back in and it was like two foot and crap. And I was like, oh, this, I was like, I'm not really feeling this one, Lukey. And he's like, he's like, oh, I'll be all right now when the Titans will pick up and stuff. And the local guy come along, um, Anjo, his name is, and he, he was like, oh, it's not very really good. We'll go up the road. It'll be bigger. And then he went his way. We went our way. And then he come back and he's like, oh, look at this section here. And it just grew and grew and grew. And it went from like two foot to like six foot solid. I didn't want to paddle into some of the sets. And Lukey was there going, go, go, go. So I would go and be like pulling in and getting a beat in and then coming up on the next one. And this local boy would just be like, just going, just standing up in these barrels. It was crazy, man. Flying along. And I was just amazed by it. It was wicked. And Luke was there just getting pounded with his camera every time. Uh, it was so, 
so sick honestly it was amazing i can't wait to go back little plug for uh, luke here then at this point uh, if we want to see luke's barley photos it's is it photo boss barley on instagram yeah at photo boss barley yeah go and check him out um and um if you are going to barley give him a shout because he can advise you on what to do and where to stay he's actually got a homestay over there with his missus so um they can hook you up with a pad to stay and sort out transport and stuff. And uh, whereabouts are they in Bali? They are at a place um, called Gunung Payung, which is over on the east coast, but on the book on the like bucket or whatever you call it. Um, so in that kind of Nusa Dua Sanua direction. Yeah, that? yeah, just kind of south of Nusa Dua, about ten minutes south of Nusa Dua. Uh, it's in between Nusa Dua and Greenball, basically. There's a few waves there. Um, it's got loads of swell. Yeah. Oh, every day. Every day there's waves. Every day. It's an amazing place. And like me being over there with the kids and Mal, I would just get up at like four in the morning. We'd go off to find a wave, surf till like 10, and then come home. And I'd just spend all day then chilling with the girls at, at the beach or at the pool or whatever. And then maybe have another surf, but more than likely just be, just chill and then go the next morning again. It's, it's, it's perfect. So you're clearly enthralled with Bali, Harry. Is there yeah. any, anywhere else you ticked off that you particularly enjoyed? Any trips that stand out in your memory? Yeah, um, lo- loads of... It's hard to pick individual trips because I've had so many good ones. Um, we had a good one in France uh, we had for a the world. That was, that was a mega trip. I loved that one. Yeah, we mentioned that with uh, Emily, who was on the show last week. That yeah, was, it was particularly funny, and it was uh, Vaughny's supposed retirement from international surfing, wasn't it? Which made it extra special. Yeah, Vaughny was a class act on that trip, fair play. But so was you know, it was a good crew of all of us, and we're not only was it we had really good waves, didn't we? We had that. Oh uh, uh, yeah, Cavalier. Cavalier, yeah, pumping, and the comp waves weren't very good, but yeah, we yeah it was a good trip that one. Uh, but but another place I do love to go is. Um, is down to Portugal, down Algarve, like the Graz. I think uh, we went there on a honeymoon, actually. And uh, since then, we've been back and forth with the kids. Been been there just for sneaky weekend aways with me and her. Um, a place called Zaviel. I, I love the right hand of there. Amazing wave. Um, if if it if it's working, and if not, there's plenty of other ways. There. Do you stay near Zaviel when you go? We we stay in Lagos. We do. Um, right. Okay. Which is like a bit further along, a bit further east than Zaviel. And then, and then what I normally do is just rent a car and it's not far to drive really uh, to, to Zaviel and then to, to even the West Coast then. There's always waves over there normally, isn't there? Have you seen that uh, video on YouTube of Alex Botello, you know, the, the big wave surfer who's recently, I think he broke his neck, didn't he, at, at Nazare at some point this, this early this winter. There's a video of him getting a wave and you wouldn't believe it, but it is. I've like, looked at it closely and looked at all the landmarks across the harbour mouth of Lagos in a particularly big south it, the super and long like wave. supposedly yeah supposedly the longest yeah. wave ever ridden on yeah. camera absolutely incredible I haven't seen that I'll have to look that one up oh uh, yeah look it up Alex Botello and he goes clean like because you've probably never seen a wave break in front of Lagos river mouth ever no 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 you won't believe it it's like six to eight foot as well and and he makes it like it just fills the channel, like goes clean across. It's uh, it's insane. You mentioned Portugal. 
Um, you you also speak fondly of that that first ever Welsh team trip to uh, Galicia, um, which is a, a, that's a beautiful part of the world as well, isn't it? Amazing, absolutely amazing. I don't remember much because I was really young on it, and I was probably a bit drunk on it as well. <laughs> Being there with with uh, half the Landwick team and and a load of <laughs> so so I love that. Just just shows that we're going slightly sort of you know back into the uh, into summer surfing's older days here because. Uh, the next thing I got on my prompts is to ask you about winning the under fourteens. You did though. You were seriously. That's a European title, there. Eh? What's that? The Celtics. That was yeah. 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 That was. Um, yeah. That was amazing. Amazing trip. Amazing comp. Amazing bunch of guys we went with, and I managed to win the under fourteens as well, which was even better. Um. I remember getting out of the final and all the judges were clapping me up the beat because I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Epic. I just, you know, when you have a real good surf, it was like I was surfing like on like top form, managed to get some amazing waves and it was in a final. I couldn't believe it. And um, yeah, just, just everything about that trip felt good. The surfing, um, the crew, just amazing. Really good. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Celtic water sports champion I was. And I think, I'm pretty sure I think Kat Thompson won as well, won the Masters or something. He did, and, yeah. Um, and I think Wales done like really well overall. They done really good. And a, another bit from that, that is also the trip, you know, of the, of the, the famously run over surfboards uh, at mm. the start of the trip. But coming back from that, one of the little bits of legend that did the rounds down this way um, was when you, uh, you were asked to arbitrate in an argument between uh, Greg Owen, where he goes by Reg Bowen, uh, that's his pseudonym on crest, uh, and uh, a Mark Horn. So this is two of the um, most decorated surfers in Wales's history. And uh, the story goes that the two of them were arguing in a car park somewhere about who was the best. And uh, they just grabbed the Grom and <laughs> said, right, you tell us who's best. <laughs> and uh, let, 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 we'll take names out of it at this point. Do you remember <clears throat> what, what your answer to that was? Because it, it, it did the rounds. I have a slight memory about it. I think it was on a bus, my memory. I don't know why I remember being on a bus, but I remember having to stand up at the back of the bus. Um, you know, being a Grom, I was kind of pushed down the front of the bus normally, but I was dragged to the back of the bus to uh, give a dem- demonstration of Reg's surfing. Or maybe I just chose to take the piss out of the surfing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that, um, that was, yeah, what you apparently answered with uh, quite a scathing... Uh sort of ripping apart of the, those guys surfing didn't you yeah i i if i remember i think it was a bit more of a strong lantwit um cont- contingency there that you know all the boys were from lantwit <laughs> and then i was kind of like right i gotta stick to the to, to vaughny's side here to get in with a good Throw the ball boy under the <laughs> so yeah I, I ripped i ripped into greg and um and i and it worked out really well they, they all loved it and um <laughs> from from that point on, I was the hero of the trip. <laughs> it included Greg as well. Apparently, uh, Greg had great respect for that. Fair play. He loved it. What a backdrop as well. Galicia, um, sort of right out there on the kind of far west of the world. Uh, you know, the, the the deep blue water. Definitely. Yeah, it was lovely. And where to next? Where's, where, what's your next trip when uh, when they are allowed again? Um, I'm not sure. I'd... I'd love to take the family back to Bali in the winter. I'd love to do um, that again. But as you can imagine, buying six tickets to Bali is quite expensive. So um, 
maybe just a Canaries trip. Uh, I mean, it's warm in the winter and the winter's a good time for me to travel when the fishing isn't so good. But that's if we're allowed to travel anywhere. We don't know what's going to happen yet. I did say to Matt, it'd be nice just to have, it'd be quite nice just to have, you know, take what money you'd spend on holiday and just do a little mission around Pembrokeshire, you know? Absolutely. Maybe, yeah, in the van and a tent, take all the kids and just just well, go Pem- like... Pembro- Pembrokeshire in the sunshine is heaven, isn't it? It is. It is, Rob. You're right, mate. I it, I don't take it for granted at all. I absolutely love Pembrokeshire. The only bad thing is normally on a nice, sunny, calm day, which you'd be doing stuff with the family, I'd normally be at work. So cool. I come home and uh, and I'm already done in. So when I have a day off, it's normally miserable and there's not so much good stuff to do. So it'd be nice to have a bit of time off when the weather is nice and just well, enjoy it. With the, uh, well, great. But how do we always, we always end up talking about uh travel at this point yeah we end up we end up stoked and full of wanderlust don't we at the end of these i thought i was it was meant to be in the terms and conditions of being a guest on this show that you meant to try and bring us to like a real downer at the end of it aren't you that's i'm just well with this all these travel bands i'm just all i can picture now is some like mystic bay in pembrokeshire with a cackle the harry cromwell cackle kind of like ringing out from the (laughs) the, the rock somewhere as i try and find a way by myself anyway like you say tom i think we better put it right uh, for all of our tortured listeners and that's really we're going to have to wait a while for any chance of a foreign surf trip. Or is it, it? It's time for this week's surf nightmare. It absolutely is. And this week it is sent in from a friend of the show uh, and resident Portugal uh, that you mentioned earlier, Harry. It's Dav Marks. And I'll begin at the very beginning. It was the summer of 2002, just after that Japan and South Korea World Cup. I just bought an old Fiat work van for 600 quid to do my annual road trip to France. The plan, as always, was to, go to, uh, to play gigs with my band and some uni mates, flagging what we could find and uh, finding a few waves along the way. This Fiat was a wreck that leaked more oil than you could top up. Perfect for the adventure. After a month in the north of France, me and a mate decided to head down south and visit our surfer friends who were working the season on the caravan park. The van was full of music gear and our surf stuff. We had a great stay on the Côte Sauvage with our friends, scoring some good waves on our sponges and one of our mates' mini miles. Life was good. Too good. After a few days of refusing to leave the comfort of our host's static caravan, we decided to finally hit the road and head back north to get our ferry home, giving ourselves a few days to get there. Less than we'd liked in such a banger, but totally doable. Or so we thought. Just outside of La Rochelle, my mate turned to me and asked, What's that smell? Thinking he was just covering a fart, I hit the gas pedal and a bit harder. And that's when it all went wrong. The sound of the engine was like an Apache helicopter, but that was where the comparisons ended. Unfortunately, the smoke pouring out of the bonnet was more like an Apache Indian smoking a peace pipe. An hour or so later, after sitting on the roadside, leaping through a French phrase book, the tombe en pain, an assistant's lorry saw us and offered us to take us to, uh, to a mechanic. Absolutely skint, with only the clothes on our back, we got into a taxi in La Rochelle, uh, into La Rochelle Centre. With no news from the mechanic, we realised we were there for the night. As we wandered aimlessly around, it started to pour with rain. No fresh clothes, no money, no food. We wandered around for the whole night, waking up on a bench the next day. 24 hours later than I could have done, I came across an emergency assistance card from my insurance company in my wallet. Of course. I called them and they agreed to put us up in a hotel. It was a one-star stinker of a place, 
on the outskirts of town. But nevertheless, my mate and I were like Lloyd and Harry from Dumb and Dumber, jumping up and down on the bed with joy. We pooled what little was left of our cash together to buy a loaf of bread and a bottle of vodka. We knew that the assurance was paying for the hotel. And, I, and to our delight, we realized that there was a phone in the room. We proceeded to call everyone we knew to tell them of our adventure. The following day, we were kicked out at 10 a.m. And as we were leaving, the receptionist came running and shouting. She had a bill for our phone calls in her hand. I turned around and shouted, assurance, in my best French accent. And we did a runner. In the end, we got back to Wales, as the Welsh always do. And a week later, they shipped my van back to me on the condition that I fixed it and had it approved by an official mechanic. I did the never reimbursed cost of a grand and then sold the van at a major loss to some traveling folk in Cardiff. <laughs> I hope it brought them better luck than it did me. So that's from Dav, a, a tale of classic travel. Well, I've been in that position myself, not quite uh, lost and abandoned in La Rochelle by myself, but certainly on the back of a, a tow truck in central France somewhere. you got a, uh, a surf trip nightmare hell story from the past at all, Harry? Um, I've, I've, got a, I've actually got a couple of stories. You going on about that one in France um, has reminded me one just now. I, um, I, me and, and my friends, Poopies was there, Tuttle was there. Uh, we're heading, <laughs> heading to France. That is his new name now. Yeah, that's his name. <laughs> We were heading down to stay on um, a friend of ours' yacht down in um, what's the what's the harbour there, right by Hossegor? Is it Capriton? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were staying down there, and um, anyway, we were on our way to Bristol. I think it was Bristol Airport, and um, there was me trying to get up and organise. Like, come on, boys, you got all your stuff, get bags on, come on. I think my mum dropped us um, dropped us to to the airport and. Got got in the airport, all getting thing queuing up, and I was like, "Oh, I forgot my passport. I've got my uh, my bag, my passport bag. I've got this little fold of my passport." So they're all like, "Oh, what? You haven't got your passport?" So anyway, I ended up um, somehow get my passport. I think my mum had to drive back with my passport, but I ended up missing my flight. So they all flew to into France without me, but I could only get to uh, Bill Bauer. Is it? Is it Bill Bauer? Yeah, uh, in northern Spain, that was the only one the next day. So I got on that flight, got to Bilbao, um, and then I had to somehow get from Bilbao to uh, Cabreton or whatever it was. I got there in the middle of the night. Uh, there was like no no taxis or nothing. I was just like abandoned, basically, with my board bag and a load of stuff. I managed to somehow. I think I got on a tube or a train to. Um, towards france and i know you you've been on a trip me blithely my france is rubbish right <laughs> so I'm, I'm there with my board bag and like my my like luggage and all and i get to this french french um train station where they drop me off and and there's this tramp there trying to start a fight with me <laughs> and he, he does like In a french. run he does like a running headbutt on my chest <laughs> And I kind of like push him off and I'm like, oh, mate, I don't want no trouble. I don't want no trouble. Starts telling me about surfing and like, you shouldn't be surfing. And luckily, luckily, somehow, like, I'd been messaging the boys where I was trying to like get them to come pick me up. They, they, they didn't have a hire car or nothing because they were just staying on this yacht. They managed to get some guy with a car to come find me and pick me up. And, um, and, uh, they, yeah, they didn't even, 
I, they managed to find me anyway at this, this train station. And it was like, when I seen them, it was so nice. And they picked me up, got me back to the yacht. It was lovely. But, um, but I actually told you about another health story I had where I was spewing on a plane ant. And I don't know if that one's any better, but. Oh, you know, that's, we, we'll, we'll have a bit of that one as well. Yeah. <laughs> We've been to um, uh, Sri Lanka for the Champions of Champions uh, UK. Bloody oh, yeah, BPSA that was when talk. they moved the BPS uh, finals out to Arrogant Bay. I've heard this story from a Cornish perspective. Oh, have you? Yeah. <laughs> I want to hear your story. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, no, I, uh, we'd done the event and we were on the way home and all the, like, there was a couple of Welsh boys on there, like Nate Phillips and Timmy Page. And uh, they were like trying to give it the big end of the Welsh being drinkers and all this. And I was quite a young Grom and not very good at drinking. And I'd happened to get really ill at the end of the trip, like spewing and, and the booze and, right. and all. And, and then um, <laughs> and Aragon Bay is like a 12-hour hell bus drive back just to Colombo or wherever you fly from. So all that bus journey, the boys were drinking whiskey, feeding me this whiskey and Oh, it was it was horrible, and then we managed to get on the plane, and I just wanted to just just curl up and die, and I ended up spewing all over myself on the plane, like everywhere, all over my clothes. Like I didn't have any spare clothes, so I had to go in the in the toilet and clean myself up, and every, even the air hostesses and all the other passengers were looking at me just as if I was scum, and I was like, oh, I'm ill, <laughs> and they didn't believe me; they just thought I was a a British pisshead, <laughs> and um, and I ended up having to travel the whole way home in these stinking spewy clothes. It was horrible. So to, that uh, was a bit of a bit of a nightmare. Two crackers there, Harry. We were um, yeah. There's there's Tom. Harry just said there that uh, his French is awful, and I highly recommend going to France with Harry Cromwell because <laughs> you'll never be so flattered in your life. So I think. I think I just said bonjour or something to someone, and Harry was going, "How do you speak so much French, then, Rob?" I just, <laughs> I just kind of rolled with it for the rest of the trip, just saying the odd word here and there, and him thinking I was fluent. It's brilliant. You was good, mate. You was class act in front of play. Merci. Yeah, nice <laughs> <come> in, Harry. <laughs> what was your version of that? What was your version of that story of me? Oh, I, I have to, I have to tell you. Uh, we'll, I'll tell you what. We'll save it for another episode because we got plenty of uh, spirit trip from hell to come up. Well, right. that, that one, that one's going to make the finals. That one is, isn't it? Now, I reckon from Harry, uh, the, the Sri Lanka spewing story. Because two weeks down the line now, from here, um, what's happening? So I, I'm telling you, Harry, but we're also telling the listeners. Um, we're going to be doing a double episode, and uh, we've got a, a mystery third presenter who's going to be joining us, and we're going to sort of hold like a kind of a yeah, you know, like the, the like like the champion of champions. Yeah, we're going to hold the sort of final awards for like the the nightmare surf trip stories. So. Uh, what we'll do then, we'll, we'll, we'll give Harry a pass to the final for that. And uh, what we'll do, though, in the final is you can be represented by Rob's uh, Cornish version of the, of the story. And I can, I've also actually got another one thinking about it as well. You yeah. crack on oh. Rhino did this as well. Somebody was like, I've never had a bad surf trip, but I've been on a, on a plane on fire, I've been in an earthquake, you know, terrorist attack. The thing is, it, it always turns out as a good trip. But, um, but I remember going to... Um, Bali, one of the first times with Mel, and um, we were there over Christmas and New Year's, and we'd like not long arrived, never been to Bali before, was like spinning out with all the like crazy stuff going on. I don't know if you've been there over Christmas and New Year's, but you go out in the streets of Kuta and it's just like fireworks going off, yeah. and just like a thousand people in the space of like two square meters, and 
anyway, we were out drinking, just loving life, and a firework went off, and I jumped up the way and like stubbed my toe real bad. I think I broke my toe. And I remember any tropical injury is is just the recipe for a perfect disaster surf trip, isn't it? Yeah, well, it turned out right, but at the time, after a few beers as well, I was literally crying in Mel's arms. <laughs> I was in tears, just like I'd spent all my money to get the barley to go surfing. And I'd been out of the piss and broke my toe. <laughs> and I just was just like so upset. I remember crying in tears, man. It, it turned out all right. You know, I taped it up and a week later I was fine. I was doing it. But that was, that felt at the time, that felt like the end of the world. <laughs> I, I lost, uh, I lost almost a week in the water in Bali by hurting my foot. And uh, the stupidest thing was I was walking in across the cobbles at, um, Balian, and I bent down to pick up a piece of plastic, just doing, you know, like the, doing my civic duty of removing a bit of plastic from the ocean. And uh, while bending down, I slipped over and cut my ankle and the bottom of my <laughs> foot. And I had, to, and I, I, had to, I had to go up to Ubud because I couldn't, I couldn't cope with looking at the ocean anymore. Oh, man. Oh. Do you know what, Harry? You've done a good job. We've done it. We're, uh, as we keep saying, who misses surf trips? Because Stuff just goes wrong anyway, doesn't it? Yeah. And uh, as as we've just told the listeners, we are still collecting. I think we're going to be posting a, a photograph of uh, anonymous from uh, from last week's uh, foot uh, that has been sent to us. Um, <laughs> we, we had one about somebody gashing their foot in uh, in Portugal and missing any trip where you you know any injury that makes you miss a bit of surface. We like those stories as well. Um, yeah, and uh, Dav. Um, sending his in from uh, from Kashkais, uh, Lisbon as well. Lost, robbed, sunburnt, ill, arrested, whatever it is, we want to hear them because the week after next, we're going to do this show dedicated to all of them. We're going to give out awards. We're still working on the judging criteria just to make sure that the worst surf trips definitely rise to the top, or should I say, sink to the bottom. Anyway, the email is castcrest at gmail.com. And you can also send us ideas, as I said, through uh, Instagram, if you have a look at that post that we've just put up. And send us more pictures, yes, because they carry bonus points. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on the show, Harry. Good luck with the, the rest of this season's fishing and hope we can run into each other, perhaps in a Pembrokeshire lineup over the summer if, uh, if travel restrictions allow. Yes, mate, that'd be amazing. And thanks a lot for having me on. And- Good luck, boys, with the future Crass podcast. It's pretty sick so far. And I'm looking forward to getting some um, proper Welsh legends on here. <laughs> well, if, uh, if you've enjoyed Harry's Tales, there's more Crest to catch up on if you subscribe to us on Spotify, YouTube, or through Apple Podcasts, where you can promptly find any of the other interviews we've done to date. As for next week, well, we're going to head over Offers Dyke or over the Bristol Channel, to be more precise, to the old enemy, England to source our next guest. Tom and I will be chatting to the Plymouth-based shaper Luke Young. Expect plenty of discussion to do with equipment, shaping, and board design. Luke is also a great storyteller and someone with a wealth of travel experience, including one of our favorite topic destinations. As you ought to know by now, Hawaii. In fact, he spent a stint on the North Shore shaping under the mentoring of Pat Rawson, on whose board Tom Carroll, Harry's mate, 
as we've learned today, <laughs> performed the manoeuvre of the early 90s of Pike, that infamous snap under the lift that I'm sure you've all seen so many photos of. Luke's always full of ideas for anyone thinking about what to ride next and plenty of opinions to season that advice with. And we can't wait. In the meantime, stay safe, don't get too stoked, and thanks for listening. Hoi, Lamatro. One, two, three.